welcome to defen episode number 53 four 54 something I think it is 54 yeah, yeah. okay 54 yeah. oh i think uh, we took a kind of a small summer break hiatus and then we're back but this time we're back with a bang <laughs> with uh, Mr. Dave Yarwood all the way from the US of A. Hey, Welcome thanks for Dave. having me. <laughs> Whereabouts in the US are you, Dave? I'm right outside of Durham, North Carolina. Actually right now I'm uh, at the office of Adzerk where I work, which is in downtown Durham. Right. You're in the kind of uh, the the blast zone of um, of closure. Uh, yeah, it's like closure HQ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talking of the heart of closure, maybe we should start by just talking about the fact that we all kind of met up at the heart of closure um, while you were over there. Uh, I think you gave a, a, a lightning talk, didn't you, Dave? Yeah. So um, I'm very grateful that Adzerk pays for us to attend some conferences every now and then. And uh, I heard that Heart of Closure was happening. I was like, what if I attended a European Closure Conference? And they're like, uh, yeah, okay. All right, Dave, you can do that. <laughs> so that was, it was really awesome. No, it's really good. Yeah. Well, it was a really nice demo. So you were showing up all the fancy uh, music stuff that we get into later. But I think there is um, a couple of things happening, right? Heart of Closure and also Closure Trade during this period. Heart of Closure was really great. I mean, it was a like, beautiful venue pretty nice uh, late i think it kind of a uh, slow food sort of slow conference sort of a white yeah thing. yeah that's a nice way of putting it actually yeah it was right. a very slow conference but you know very low beat and you know yeah and you could have a I mean, lot of conversations around and it was really nice yeah uh, i really liked it and it's a beautiful city i think yeah what did you think Nowhere. of it dave because i guess it's your first time um in belgium yeah it was my first time in belgium only my second time in europe in my life um really like it over there. I thought the conference is really well organized. It, you know, a lot of great activities going on. People were organizing their own activities. Uh, there seemed like there was a lot of room for like hallway chatter and meeting yeah. people, which is, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, there was also a really nice focus on not just on closure, but also a bit broader community issues. I really like the one with the, um, I don't remember the name, but he was talking about all the uh, global warming because of the servers and stuff and how can you reduce your carbon footprint for the for the servers and stuff so that was pretty cool anyway great conference i just, think just, the to, just to say by the way that i'm working on a blockchain at the moment but it's not the bad ones that burn up the planets okay so <laughs> so don't at me <laughs> <laughs> blockchains burning the planet but it was a very, very nice conference. Uh, of course, you know, thanks to Arne and Martin who uh, made the conference uh, uh, yeah. a reality, I think. So it's a, I had a wonderful time there. And then, of course, you know, we met up there and then we had nice pasta in the evening. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it was really, uh, I felt like really starstruck, actually. There's all these people that I know, have known for a while on the internet, like on Twitter or whatever, yeah. on the Clergy and Slack, and I got to meet them all in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Do you go to a lot of conferences, Dave, or um, is this a sort of one of your first closure conferences, or do you go to a lot in the US? Or have you been? To, I know they don't have that many in the US. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the tides are changing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I go to one or two conferences a year. Um, Azric's whole thing is focusing on our professional development and making sure we go out mm -hmm. to conferences and learn things. Um, I've been to a few closure conferences before. Um, closure Conj they have here in Durham every year. 
Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 That's gonna happen again the, this November. That that's the Metcalf closure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've really got to get to it one of these days. I'm I'm hoping it's well, but it's a bit late now. It's uh, October. I don't know but, if I'm gonna make it. When is it? It's uh end of November, I think. Like right either right before okay. or right after Thanksgiving. Which doesn't mean yeah, much okay. to you guys, I suppose. I mean, no. for me, absolutely no. <laughs> I keep. I think it's the turkey thing, right? Is it the? Yeah, it's well, it's basically that eat as much food as possible and hang out with your family and drink all day. <laughs> we have uh, we have holiday. fake turkey every year. We have tofurkey. I'm also vegetarian. Ah, oh, yeah. This is uh, okay. this is also another. Uh, it's not quite a first <laughs> actually because we've had a few vegetarians on, but it's nice to have you know a complete vegetarian podcast. Keeping our brand up yeah. to date. Yeah. Got to keep that ratio of vegetarian <laughs> guests to non-vegetarian guests up. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do ban eating meat during the podcast. You know. <laughs> we're, we're not very good at enforcing it, but you know, it's an honor system. <laughs> we can guarantee our audience that nobody is eating meat during the show. You know, like the the, the stuff that you see in the movies. Like, no, no animals were harmed during the making yeah. of the movie. We really so should. We like really this. should insist that people don't eat it while they're listening to the show. That's that would. You know. <laughs> <laughs> they should be. Yeah. Do so, tweet, um, tweet us if you're eating meat during listening to Deafen. That would be quite interesting. Or if you're having like a <laughs> a, a nice vegan meal, that would be good as well to, to tweet that one too. So that would be nice. <laughs> so, uh, Dave. Um, so, how did you? end up at Heart of Closure. So what is your journey into Closure? So where did you start? Can you give us a bit uh, brief bio? Sure. So I'm a self-taught programmer. Um, I've been working at AdZerk for about five years. It's actually my first software development job. Um, studied music, composition, and bassoon performance at UNC. Bassoon. Uh, bassoon. It's a, if you didn't know, it's a double, double reed wind instrument. It's very long and yeah, narrow. Beautiful instrument, yeah. Yep. Um, I have I have never seen it. Is it like a wind thing or is it strings or is it? Uh... It's a woodwind. Okay. Wow. Yep. Um, it's like so... a it's like a big hard flute. You know. I mean, I don't mean that. That sounds naughty. It's like <laughs> a. <laughs> it's not a flute. It's more like a big clarinet, isn't it? I guess. Well, it has it has two reeds. It's a double reed instrument. So, like you know, on the clarinet, you have like the mouthpiece, and there's a single reed that you're flapping your tongue against. Uh, on a bassoon, there's two reeds, like you know, like this. You can. Sort of like yeah, but people up, up don't see that. People don't see that part. Do they? they just see the big, big end, the output part. So I'm putting my fingers together like it's a double reed. So Dave is doing something like a shadow puppet of a crocodile, <laughs> <laughs> like a like a duck. I think I'm going to say like a duck. Okay, so that didn't work out too well. <laughs> anyway, studied okay. music in yeah. school. Um, got into yeah. software development later. I've always sort of been interested in computers but didn't really make a concerted effort to learn how to program until after college. And I just started like devouring programming books. I uh, started with, I think, Python and then Ruby. And eventually I got into functional programming, learned some books, read some books on Haskell. Why, why, the, why, the, why the shift? Because um, you have a, like a professional musical career or something, or, or that's what you are building up to, right, with your studies? Oh, no, I kind of went into college knowing that I wouldn't make anything uh, with music. I mean, make any money doing <laughs> <Okay>. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My mindset at the time was like, Oh, I just want to get a four year degree in something. And then that'll help me get a job. Right. And it yeah. <laughs> ended up falling into a career that was unre unrelated to music or software development. 
at all. Yeah. Um, sort of like a desk job. For, I was there for like six years. Um, mm. And then the, in the evening hours, I was sort of like thinking about uh, maybe I should switch careers at some point. You know, this isn't very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I just kind of started teaching myself more and more about programming. Cool. But there is a big uh, intersection of uh, people going into programming and then music as well, right? Oh yeah, I, I meet tons they of people. They seem to be kind of kind of logically similar or something. Yeah, really. I think there's like a part of the brain that is active when you're doing you're either playing music, maybe writing music, I don't know, and writing software. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think uh we yeah. have to be careful here listeners, you know, correlation is not causation. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> So people people should go back and then learn um, music theory properly before they can become programmers. It'll make you a better programmer. <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to back that up at all, but it sounds like a good thing to say. Welcome to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, Sorry, anecdotal. Go on. So so yeah. So you had uh, four years of uh, music courses and and uh, music degree, and then you started learning Python, and then what happened? Yeah, well, actually, I took one class, one computer science class in college. It was like, it may have even been like CS 101. It was like introduction to programming. And that was Java. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it, but it seemed like a lot of ceremony. Like, this is this is not for me, you know. A lot of stuff here I don't understand, yeah. all these import statements and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put that aside. And then later, you know, when I found out about Python, it's like, oh, I can actually write scripts and things. Like, it's not hard to do this. And then that kind of got me going. Hmm. Then, then where did you discover Clojure then? I actually don't remember. I think it may have been, this is like early tw- uh, 20, the teens? What do you call it? Decade? The tens? The teens? <laughs> There's a book that <laughs> yeah. came out called uh, Seven Languages in Seven Weeks. Oh, yeah. Bruce, uh, Bruce Tate or Bruce Tate. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Yeah. yeah. Pragmatic Tate, uh, yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I don't remember. That may have been my first ex- exposure to Clojure. Uh, but mm. Yeah. That book, I really liked that book because it was like a, a survey of wildly different programming languages. Yeah. And um, yeah, Clojure caught my fancy because at the time I was really into Ruby and I liked the metaprogramming aspects of Ruby. And you can yeah. make a DSL to kind of, you know, make your own language inside your program to describe what you're trying to do. And in Lisp, like mm. you can you can really do a lot with that. Like that's metaprogramming to the extreme. Yeah. And then you you joined Adzerk then after learning Clojure. Yeah, this is like a, maybe a couple of years after I'd been programming in Clojure for a while. Mm. Yeah. And during that time when I was uh, working the desk job and tinkering with programming in my off hours, that's when I started creating Alda. Okay. Right, okay. So you already started before you you started working and getting paid for writing software. Right. <laughs> It's just something okay. that I really wanted to do. Actually, a little, yeah, little saw, anecdote saw, uh, there. Was, yeah. Uh, there's a little anecdote Because there. I, where, uh, sorry. No, go for it. Go ahead, please. Yeah. So I was, um, I was working this desk job, and sometimes I would get all the work done for the day that I could possibly do, but I still had to be there for eight hours a day because that was the rule. And so I was kind of <laughs> looking around. And I was like, what can I do with my time now? I mean, I could like get out this big, this big sheet of manuscript paper, um, like staff, like sheet music paper, and start composing music, but that would look kind of like I'm obviously not on task. So what if I could open up Notepad, you know, on the Windows machine that I was working on and just like start typing in a text file and compose music that way? I think that may have kind of planted Ooh. the seed for Alda a little bit. Mm. That's nice. So we, we are, I mean, I think we should be thankful for that uh, boring desk job then for Alda. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if if you became professional in programming immediately, you would be writing some other junk. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, you know, some more HTTP shit and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. But I, I was I was digging through a bit of history, and then I think it's almost six years or seven years since you started building Alda. Yeah, 2012. I think is when I started um, like designing yeah. the language. Wow. Well, we can also talk a little bit about before we get into Alda, because I think um, it's going to dominate the show. But before we do that, a bit more about Adzerk, because like you say, they're they're you know working there, and and I think that's where um, Misha and uh, Alan Dipert um, of Hoplon and various other closure things. So did they kind of? How did how did that work when you like went for an interview or whatever? Were they, did you show them Alder and say, "Look, I can code closure"? Or how did how did how did they kind of like get you on board? So I started going to the the Triangle area. That's what we call Durham, Raleigh, and Chapel right. Hill in North Carolina. The Triangle right. area closure meetup group, okay. which at the time was hosted at Cognitect. And um, so yeah, I went there once a month. Uh, met a bunch of people in the community, and uh, there were a few people from Adzerk who would attend the meetups. And so at one point, somebody, I think Alan actually mentioned that they were hiring. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll look into this. Yeah. So I, I think it's like a, I just happened to be in the right city to, <laughs> to get interested yeah. in closure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And did, did you know that like closure was like next door to where you, like like the heart of closure in the, in the sort of uh, headquarter sense? Did you know it was there when you were learning closure? Or was that, uh, did you find that out afterwards? No, I, I found out afterwards. It was like this weird coincidence. Um, another weird coincidence is that I, I read the book uh, early on when I was learning Closure. I read uh, Closure for the Brave and True. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, Daniel uh, Higginbotham, um, yeah, who yeah. also lives in Durham. All right, okay. Yeah, like I read that book and okay. I was like, man, I really like this book. I want to tell the author how much I like it. So yeah. on the, I went on the website and there's his contact information. And I was like, wait, that's my zip code. Like I could walk to this guy's house. <laughs> <laughs> So did you? That's nice. Like, no, no, that would like be like a creepy. scary stalker, you know. <laughs> and and that's where he got his uh, what do you call that? Like an order to stay away, five hundred feet or something. Yeah, that, that's why I have a streaming order from Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> have you nice. met him in the Have you met him in the closure meetups? So does he go there? Yeah, he actually he uh, he did some contracting work for Adzerk for a while, so we were co-workers. All right, okay. All right, right, okay. So you did finally manage to get to see. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the Hollywood of closure, like all the celebrities living in the like 50 yeah. kilometer area. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the first talks that I attended there at the meetup was uh, Stu Holloway was talking about Datomic and that just like blew my brain apart. Like I, I barely yeah. knew about databases at all. And then he's talking about like, you know, the element of time and like being able to like, immu- you know, immutable database. Yeah. If it is not uh, too revealing, so what do you do at Adzerk using Closure? How is the stack? How does the stack look like, and and what kind of challenges that you are, uh, or what kind of things that you're solving there? Yeah, so um, we're like, I guess you could describe us as sort of a world class platform for decision making at scale. Uh, the the use case is typically ad serving, and um, mm-hmm. we enable people to do sort of better things with advertising. Um, in like the native advertising space. Um, so the, sy- the part of the system that I work on the most is um, what we call the configuration or the management side of things. So people are kind of funneling ads into the system and configuring how they're supposed to serve. Oh, yeah, there's, there's like a, it's sort of like 
service-driven architecture. There's a bunch of different services, uh, mostly written in Clojure. We're all sort of Clojure fanatics here. So there's a few older systems that are um, written in other other stacks, C Sharp and some Node JS and stuff like that. Um, but all the new stuff we're building is in Clojure, and we're working on replacing the older stuff with Clojure. So there's sort of some sort of like porting effort going on too. Just a non-technical question in some ways, like a business question, but it's like, are you looking at personalized ads or is it more kind of like looking at demographics or sectors or other kind of non-personal splits? Well, we're really sort of like the, the toolkit in that whole thing. Like we, right. we enable people to build exactly the type of ad serving experience that they want. Hmm. So we're, we're, the idea is we're trying to get customers who are more interested in doing like more humane sorts of advertising. Um, which is, you know, you could use some element of personalization, but the hope is that you leave uh, really sensitive information out of the equation and just focus on stuff that, you know, like if you're browsing some website, um, you probably want to be shown ads that are relevant to your interests, but not in an invasive way. Right. So you, you per se are not actually a surveillance company. Just, just not per se. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Good to know. So I was there in, uh, uh, I think uh, last week, I was there in a big conference called Data Council in Barcelona. It's about data and all the stuff, machine learning and AI, and also the data engineering stuff. So there was a company, somebody doing like a similar kind of ad delivery thing, but it's a real-time bidding. So I didn't know that, that you know, while you are scrolling on a, on a mobile page, they immediately send this space is available, and then there is real-time bidding going to happen, and then people can push the ad then. Because oh yeah. The, the ads that, that I'm used to is like Google AdWords or something. You, you give some publisher and then you're done. Then you sell the space and you don't care what it is going to be shown. Yeah, so that's sort so of like the old crazy. world of ad serving where you just have like a banner on your site. You don't particularly care what the ad is going to be. It could be something really inappropriate exactly. or not relevant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the new idea with native advertising is, um, you know, you have, you can collect just the information or keep it, you know, sort of collect the information that's most relevant for the types of ads you want to show. And a lot of it is yeah. more like content on your website. It might be sponsored content. Mm. Um, and, you yeah. know, it's clear that it's an ad, like you'll see the word sponsored next to it or something. But yeah. it has to do with um, like whatever area of the website that you're in. Or, you know, if you've, you know, sometimes if you've bought something, um, you might get ads for related things. That might be something you're interested in doing. Yeah, yeah. At least it's not that level creepy that, you know, I'm in a Wi-Fi network and then someone else who is sitting beside me and then he's he's searching for hotels in Barcelona and then I just get the ads of hotels in Barcelona because it's the same Wi-Fi network and then they, they <laughs> keep thinking, oh, these, these people must be in the same home or something. So, you know, yeah, well, it's it's super creepy sometimes. But uh, so how, how is the, uh, so uh, like what kind of database you use and what kind of libraries do you use? Do you use Hoplon there as well? Because I know Misha we and um, Alan. Yeah. Yeah, um, we have a huge uh, Haplon application that there's all sorts of cells all over the place. Um, we coordinate them together. <laughs> it's um, nice. Yeah, uh, it, it is interesting to see Haplon work at that level of scale. Like, you know, you see a lot of the yeah. examples. There's like, you know, you can do a to-do application and things like that, um, which is, you know, you're not really stressing the system there. But we have like, you know, we're making all these database queries in the background and updating like the results in different cells and things like that. It actually works really well. Okay. And and what is the database that you're using? Do you use Datomic or do you use Postgres or what kind of databases that you use? We're using Microsoft SQL Server. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, that's the that's the legacy system that we're it's sort of tied to the how things are working in that database. Yeah. Well, I think once you abstract it away using, I don't know, some libraries, then probably you wouldn't be worrying too much about uh, what SQL server, what type of server is there. Yeah, true. Although it can do some pretty interesting things. There's like change tracking in SQL Server. Have you heard of this? No. It's it's kind of neat. You can you basically get like a log of things that changed in the database, oh. which is almost so like you have like, like an audit table. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. CDC, right. isn't it? Change, change, change data tracking. Change data, change data, something. Capture. Yeah, capture. Oh, capture. Yeah, that change one. Yeah. Capture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. And and uh, so because you. You were not, let's say, tainted by years and years of Java and stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how how did you see or, or what is your, because there is a plenty of front-end code that you're working on, like Hoplon and with Closure Script. And I'm assuming there is a lot of back-end code as well. Mm -hmm. So was there any you know, leaky abstractions that you had to learn more JavaScript, you had to learn more Java to, to get uh, more productive with Closure, Closure Script? Um, I want to say ClojureScript kind of hides a lot of the, the mess of JavaScript. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's some things you have to know, like, you know, why is this, you know, like you have to know to disable, like if you're doing a click handler on something on the front end, you have to remember to do like prevent default. Yeah. To, so, to, you know, to prevent the DOM events. Yeah. Right. So little things like that are still, you still have to know about that stuff. Yeah. And, and on the server side, um, do you get into more Java side because that kind of libraries that you're using? Yeah, like uh, we've actually been tinkering with um, you know, different ways to do SQL queries. And uh, a while back, we decided that Closure Java JDBC didn't meet our needs. Although JDBC mm -hmm. Next is looking a lot more promising. Mm -hmm. It's kind of similar yeah. to the thing that we've we ended up hand rolling something that's that's very similar. So there's a lot of like okay. interop with uh, like JDBC and stuff like that. Mm. So um, let's maybe we can now switch to music. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and and talk about uh, talk about the new language. Um, so what is Alda? Where did it come from? Uh, we know where it came from from the boring desk job, luckily. But you know, <laughs> how did you build it? And and what what is the value proposition? Right. So Alda is a text format for music composition. It's um, like imagine if you could write music by writing text in your text editor. And then uh, you know highlights highlight just the part that you want to play. Maybe press a couple of keystrokes and hear it played back. Um, I was very inspired by the Unix philosophy of things, um, so mm -hmm. I wanted to make a command line program that its job is to take some text-based input that represents music and play it. So it's just like. So you can like echo and cut all the instructions to Alda. Yeah. So if you want, you can actually write a program in some other language and like. Uh, emit Alda syntax and pipe that into Alda. So I, I do something uh, quite like that with, um, I've written a lot of music where I write closure code that generates Alda. And you can write algorithmic or like procedural music that way. So you, you're an algo raver, are you, Dave? Uh, one day I hope to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really more of an algo composer. Okay. <laughs> So what is the so it's a, how is how does the architecture look like because it, it's it's so you write your your sheet music or you write your music with with notes and uh, essentially with text plain text and then 
you feed that to Alda program and then what happens then? Yeah, so actually it's it's changing now. I'm actually working on um, uh, Alda V2, which is architected mm-hmm. differently. But I'll just talk about V1 because that's what we have yep. you know, in the releases today. So it's actually... Uh, you can tease them about V2, you know. Oh, at the end, I absolutely you know. want to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually just gave a talk at Strange Loop where I talked about all this stuff. I gave the history of the architecture of Alda. Um, so that talk oh, yeah, is I, I just saw that. No, no one watches yeah, yeah. Strange Loop. They all listen to this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so we have this, the, the client is actually a Java program. It's a very thin program that just talks to a Clojure server that's running in the background. Right. That's basically like my my hacky workaround for closure startup time. Mm. Okay. Um, but did did you try Graal VM or something to to uh, make it go faster? I haven't experimented with Graal VM. Uh, this was yeah. the decision to split it out in a client server was years before Graal VM okay. came, um, before, came about. Yeah, yeah. Or you could maybe you could use Node.js or something like that as well, like Plank or um, or uh, what's it what's the one called? Uh, Lumo. Lumo, Lumo, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, so there, there are many. There are different ways to skin the cat nowadays in 2019. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So the there is a client program, and then there is a server program in Java. Yeah, I actually is distribute them right? as a single executable, though. There's this trick you can play where you have an Uber jar that has both Java and Clojure oh, yeah. code in it, and then you can make yeah. that whole thing an uh, executable, different like a self-running points. jar. Yeah. So the client will start the server in the background. Okay, so the the feed or the input is basically some text representation of the music, right? It's and a then, it's a like a markup language for music. Okay. All right. Okay. And then there is an interpreter, or or how is it producing the sound from that one? Yeah. So the the closure program, uh, the server, is taking the input, parsing it, turning it into an AST, and then it will uh, sort of build up a score data structure in memory. It's like basically okay. this big hash map that has all the data about the yeah. score. And then it uh, okay. performs it, it, interprets it by uh, using the, the JVM. Uh, there's actually a MIDI synthesizer built into the JVM. So it uses yeah. that for playback. Okay. Wow. Is so that, is that what, by the way, the, is that, I mean, I don't, I don't remember the, the details anymore, but I remember there was a story about it a while ago that um, certain parts of the JDK weren't ported to OpenJDK, like these audio drivers. Is that, is that the case, or do you, have, so do you have to use the Oracle distribution, or can you use like the OpenJDK or, or some other one? Nope, um, all the, the OpenJDK does work for uh, the MIDI. Uh, the, the package is javax.sound.midi. All right, Thankfully, okay. that's not one of the ones that that Oracle decided to pull out. <laughs> Phew. Okay, good. It, it's a nice good, thing good. because, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't require you to install anything extra in order to hear right. the sounds. Like if you have Java yeah. installed, Alda will work on your system. That's ideal. That's perfect. Yeah. So this is the V1 architecture that that you're talking about. The, yes. The one that we download when right now. That's what you get. Essentially, a Java program, and then some closure code base that is going to do the parsing and translation. Yeah, all of the work. It, uh, it parses yeah, your input yeah. and figures out what you meant music-wise and then performs it. So how does, I mean, how do you um, account for things like, you know, like two instruments in, this, in the score playing at the same time? Is that, is that part of the markup text 
Like you have yeah. instrument one, instrument two, or whatever. I mean, maybe you can explain it a bit. Yeah, that's actually so. An instrument part is sort of the top level um, element um, syntactically, right? you know, like in the mm. AST. The AST. So you have um, you basically say uh, you know you can say violin colon and then have all the the markup that represents what that violin is going to play. Maybe you and could give we'll, us a quick demo of it, Dave. Just like you know, saying like piano. Yeah. ABC oh, sure. or something. Yeah. Yeah, actually, so I have a score pulled up here. This is uh, an excerpt of a string quartet by WC. And so I'm oh, just highlighting that's, just, that's just not one the Hello World, part. is it? Yeah. Oh, you want me to start with Hello World? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's 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 easier for us. Yeah, all right. So yeah, we're, we're, we're slow learners, Matt. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll get to WC later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I have a, actually have a so this is a string quartet. So that's two violins, a viola, right. and a cello. Okay. And so mm -hmm. we've got, you know, so um, this the the code that I'm highlighting. I hate to talk about code that I'm, you know, like this is what I'm. So it's violin, <laughs> and then in quotes, violin one. So that's like the, the name of that violin. That's yeah. useful because yeah. you can have multiple violins. Right. And then um, some markup that basically says in the fourth octave, play the notes A, C, and B, and it mm -hmm. you can you can say how long the notes are as well. So this is what that sounds like. Oh, hang on. Oh, so you also specify the duration in the text to say the last note to play longer. Right. Okay. So the, the first couple notes were half notes. So I said A2. Yeah. That means a half note. Oh, and then, yeah. Right. Okay. And then C, because the duration is sticky, you don't, have, you, don't want, you don't necessarily want to have to put a duration on every single note. Hmm. Um, hmm. So it's just C. And then you have B, which is a whole note. So that's B1. Okay, so it's more like ah, a okay. state. So it, it remembers the state then, right? Because if I change the state at some point and then going forward until I say something else, it keeps that state. Right. In terms Be of in terms of beats. Yeah, there's a trade-off there because um, you know, as as functional programmers, we don't like to rely too much on previous state. Um, that's yeah. I've gotten that criticism before, but I think it it sort of keeps things concise. Because a lot of the yeah. time you don't like you'll sort of you know now you're in sixteenth you have like a, a run of sixteenth notes which are you know faster notes, and so yeah. you'll just put the sixteen on the first one and then you have a bunch of notes that don't have durations on them and it's implicit that they are sixteenth notes. I, yeah, I think yeah. there's a personally I think there's a big difference between how you program things and how you annotate them. I mean you know to me, having an annotation which is which has you know memory of the previous state to save the author, you know, I think that's really good. You know, that's got nothing to do with functional programming. That's just an annotation thing. You know, yeah. Um, that's a that's a convenience for the for the the scribbler. You know, that's a, right. A, how you programming it, you can you can program it as stateless or as stateful as you want. You know, you can always you can just expand that and you know so you don't rely on previous state. So I don't, I don't think there's a problem there. Yeah, that's a good point. So um, screw those guys. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I should, well, I should say, you, Dave. You know, come on. I will say that my uh, sort of my target audience for Alda is people who don't necessarily know how to program. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But how did? Um, because you you started this before you learned Closure, is that right? Yes. Building Alda. So how did how did learning Closure influence Alda later? Ah, that's an if interesting there is question. Any influence. Yeah. So when I was first designing the language, there are a couple of existing 
music programming languages that I stole some ideas from. There's LilyPond, which is a yeah. great language for uh, music engraving or you know, generating sheet music. Mm-hmm. Um, is and that what you call it, is it? Engraving? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting I've never term, heard that you know? phrase before. Yeah, it sounds like something you do in a graveyard, you know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's engrave the music. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically putting them into a grave. <laughs> I don't know. I always think of engraving as something you do on metal or stone or something. But I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Music's like old, isn't and, it? Yeah. So. Well, no, okay. originally you used, they used the, uh, well, originally they used, you know, pen and paper. But yeah. with the Industrial Revolution, yeah. the, we had the, the uh, you know, Ah, I'm blanking on the name of that machine. You know, the the important one that printed the printing press. The printing press. Yeah, yeah that's a- <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, there were, there were special sets of um, you know whatever those things are called, the stamps or whatever that. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that yeah, are the, different shapes yeah. that are used for music, like quarter notes, and yeah. eighth notes, and things ah, like that. Okay. Okay. And they, that, those were engravings. Uh, yeah. Right. So that's where music okay. engraving originally came from. Right. Okay. Uh, Sorry. A bit, Lily, of a, a bit of a makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> yeah. tangent there. But Lily Pond, it's a music engraving language because it's like uh, they brought that whole process into the the digital age. I mean, there were already programs for this, but they wanted a programming language that that did specifically that. Okay. But anyway, there's some really interesting syntax there that if you look at Lily Pond and then look at Alda and compare them, you'll see how I stole a bunch of ideas from it. Mm -hmm. And there's another language called MML or Music Macro Language that uh, Mm -hmm. was was a big influence. That's the language that... um, I don't know if you remember from the, uh, the the flip phone era, like early 2000s, um, you, there was a, a time where a lot of people were programming their own ringtones for it. Yeah, ah, right. Yeah. Okay. That language was the dialect of MML. Right. Okay. okay. And they also uh, there's there's other dialects <laughs> of MML that are that run in like old basic machines, like from the 80s. Right. And okay. um, yeah, so that was the you know, that was like an early computer music language. Yeah. Well, low tech is the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I like the syntax, so I, I took a bunch of ideas from those things. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. DJ, you were asking me about how Clojure influenced things. Yeah. Um, so something interesting that happened after I started implementing it in Clojure um, was that at some point I decided to expose evaluation semantics. Mm-hmm. So part of the syntax of the language um, is just Clojure S expressions. A simple right. example of that is just like open paren volume 50, close paren. Ah, so yeah. it's an embedded DSL as well now. Yes. Okay. And you have because we're really just calling, we're invoking eval on whatever closure code you have in there. Uh, you can use the entire closure core standard library, which is full of really useful functions for dealing with sequences of things. Yeah. And in scope is this whole library of music functions like chord and note and things like that. So when you combine them, it's, it's this really powerful language for algorithmic music. Hmm. But maybe kind of a small digression or something. I was thinking, so the kind of music that you can quote-unquote program and the kind of music that you write without programming, do you think there is a difference? Uh, because it seems to me like if I'm coding, then then all this coding mentality comes into the comes into the music is that i don't know how to put that one like like no because if i'm if i'm thinking about a song i don't think about loops i don't think about you know uh, whatever you know for loops or whatever and these kind of things right so is, is there any creative difference between these two in your opinion yeah absolutely i think it's just um it's basically you know the system that you have 
at hand for notating your music can influence the type of music that you create. And like mm, you can, yeah. you can write music that's more similar to the type of music you would write if you're just sitting at a piano with sheet music paper and writing yeah. it by hand. Yeah. Um, and you can also, you know, if you have a Turing complete programming language at your disposal, like mm. Clojure, you can do kind of wackier things or generate lists of random integers and, you know, have that inform your pitch content and things like that. So do you, yeah. th do you, do you, um, do you kind of think about like the, the REPL experience as well as part of that? Yeah. So Alda has a REPL. Uh, we, we call it the, the read eval play loop. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's that's useful for experimentation. You can just pop the all the REPL open and um, try out bits of syntax and hear small snippets played back. Mm -hmm. um, but an interesting thing, so I, I created a Vim plugin for uh, for Alda. I think I just answered your question, Emacs or some other shit, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, some other shit. <laughs> Um, yes, I'm. I'm pretty sure Emacs can be plugged in as well. Yeah, yeah there's a, there's an Alda mode for Emacs. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Then 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 your skin, you know, sins are absolved. So please go on. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So uh, yeah, an interesting thing happened as I got more into Closure, and I learned how you can just instead of just having a REPL open in a different terminal, you can integrate it with your text editor, and that yeah. it, it makes you more proficient. More, um, you know, it's. it's or if efficient and you're, yeah. you can yeah. evaluate feedback, things more yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's the way I've started doing things in Alda. I actually rarely open up the Alda REPL anymore, unless it's like, I just uh, want to try something out really quick. Uh, just like with closure, like yeah. a lot of the time I just have the REPL plugged into my editor. Yeah. So if the, so the, the music composition process, is it something like, um, if, if you don't have something like Alda or a computer, then you write a small, small, uh, what do you call it, like a staff, whatever, and then you you play it on on piano, and then change one note and play it again. So is that like a like a repetitive process like that in general? Yeah, totally. It's a like an iterative process. You come up with an idea, play it back, yeah. and then say, oh, what if this one note had a you know add add a sharp to it, make it make it a little bit higher, uh, see what that okay. sounds like, and you play it back, and when you come up with an idea you like, you know now you've got it in your buffer, and you can. You know, repeat yeah. it or you know experiment with yeah. it so with thing like alda the the loop becomes really tight i mean it becomes really quick because you can just change it and then play it immediately yeah yeah it's really nice the tight but feedback i must loop. say i mean i i downloaded the app uh, i downloaded the software and then it was super easy I, I was surprised i was able to type some things and i was looking at some sheet music and the, the beginner stuff that i know a bit it was really really smooth experience that's awesome it's an awesome job <laughs> thank you uh, because you know making computers make music it's been i think there are plenty of software like this right i mean there are plenty of uh, experimentation like how to how to make it more effective yeah so i think they all they all cover different niches like yeah. a lot of people ask me well how, how is it is it like overtone you know or is it like sonic yeah. pi and those are two great projects by sam aaron uh, one of them is a closure library overtone um, yeah, and those are great, but uh, they sort of serve different purposes. Uh, like you couldn't get uh, you know music composition student to pick up overtone, uh, and if they you know if they yeah. don't know anything about programming and have them start to be productive with it. Yeah, so I think that's why they went with Sonic Pi, wasn't it, to try and make it more amenable to kids? Yeah, 
So what's your target audience, Dave, actually? What's your kind of um, demographic, let's say? I would say it's anybody who is close to the intersection of um, music making and programming. So either there's sort of like two groups of people. There's like musicians who don't know much about programming and they want to kind of experiment with making something by writing code. And then there's programmers who don't necessarily know anything about music and they want to learn about music theory or you know making music. You know, I don't play an instrument. How can I make music? So they can, yeah. you know, they know how to write code. So this enables them to do that. And you can ex explore different music concepts by learning how to notate it with Alda. So what is it? What is an instrument, by the way, on on Alda? Like how, how does if I if I say piano and then if I change it to the the, the fancy instrument that you're talking about before, <laughs> oh, bassoon. So oh, I can bassoon. do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So here. How, do, how does it sound? Yeah. So here's here's a piano doing a C major scale. This, by the way, is the Hello World of Alda. <laughs> yeah. And then I can just change the word piano. So it says piano colon and then some other stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to change piano to yeah. bassoon. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'll, instead of octave four, I'm going to put an octave two, which is sort of more idiomatic for the bassoon. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. So what, what changed there, like in terms of a program? Mm hmm. Uh, the instrument is already predefined or, or can we create our own instruments and can you uh, explain how those things work? So right now we have the 128 general MIDI spec instruments. There's a, a mm -hmm. spec for MIDI and there's, uh, they've defined 128 instruments. And so all of those are available in the, the JVM built-in MIDI synthesizer. So we yeah. call that, the, the MIDI term for that is program change. So piano is one program, it's program zero. And then bassoon is, okay. I forget what the number is, but it's probably, you know, program 37 or something like that. So the actual, okay. so what you're, na you're naming this instrument, that's basically an index into some synth in Java, essentially. Yeah, there's like a lookup table of strings to what patches this. Hmm. So can you, can you create your own instruments out of that, those things or, how, or just a combination of uh, these ones is, is, is how you compose the music? Yeah, right now it, it's just those 128 instruments. Well, that should be enough, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun to play with them. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain there's a certain breed of musician who really wants to mess around with creating new sounds and messing with synthesizers and things like that. That is, I'm I'm yeah. interested in doing that myself. So at some point, I would like to see if I could add different types of instruments that are synthesizers. Okay. So is um is the is the MIDI is the MIDI of Java, is that extensible? Uh, no, not really. Not in the way that I think you're, you're saying, like, can you add instruments to it? And not really. Well, so an interesting thing about MIDI is that MIDI itself does not have a sound. It's really a message format. So you can emit MIDI messages, and then mm -hmm. that, those go into some sort of synthesizer. So the, the JVM is just one instance, or the JVM MIDI synthesizer is just one instance of a synthesizer. Um, but it would be pretty easy to just emit these messages out into the, you know, out on some port and then plug them into, you know, uh, a software synth or maybe even a hardware synth. Right. And uh, okay. then you can really, you know, this, you could say that like, uh, okay, now patch 37 is this weird synth sound that I programmed. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So can you, um, did you test the limits of this one? Like, can you create like an orchestra of uh, whatever number of instruments and then play them and then... What happens then if I have like 120 <laughs> violins or whatever? I actually don't know <laughs> if that would work or not. I've, I've mostly okay. been composing for 
Yeah, you know, I've composed for up to like eight instruments before. So I you think, don't yeah, know if, if we play like a, like Mahler's fifth, you don't know about how that would work. <laughs> I have a feeling you might run into some issues with parsing huge input things. Like, you know, I, I hand rolled the parser myself to get the, to squeeze the most performance out of it. And you might run into some weird edge cases or something. I'd be, uh, yeah. I'd be and curious how that, how that works out. <laughs> and oh, in, and in terms of you. architecture, yeah. <laughs> I think one, one of our listeners should try it. Yeah, it would, it would take quite a while to transcribe a, a, a whole orchestra piece like that. Hey, that's why you have closure for us. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah. Well, hey, you, you so, can generate so you, you just, an orchestral piece. Exactly. Yeah. And then see what happens. And and so every instrument is playing separate thread, or how is it how is it working? Because if if it is um, all of them are playing together, how do they synchronize? Uh, so there's this other concept in MIDI that's uh, this is another class that's available to you in the Java X Sound MIDI package, which is called a sequencer. And mm -hmm. so that gives you the ability to send send MIDI messages in time. And it's, it's really great because it actually, I think, I mean, it might depend on the Java implementation, but um, it's using threads on your um, your audio card. So it's not oh, affected by GC uh, and things like that. So you actually get pretty solid timing. Yeah. So really, it's like because what we're doing is we're loading up the sequencer with, with uh, note data. It's sort of like you're popping a cassette tape into the player. And then when, yeah. once it's all loaded, we press play and it all plays in time. Okay. So it's converting all these things into like a series of things that can be sent, and then there is no delay between multiple things. Okay, right. That's really nice. So basically, it's a kind of translation layer between your notation and MIDI. Yes, exactly. Okay. So how is the performance, by the way, with Closure? Because the um, uh, so the the parsing part is happening in Closure, and then you you generate MIDI messages. So how how is the performance and what what is driving you to write V two of this one? <laughs> uh, so yeah, performance is pretty good overall. Like I I have a pretty good time with it. Um, there there's some architectural issues that have come about. That's really what I wanted to work around for V two. Mm -hmm. um, so the uh, yeah, I would also refer listeners to my the talk I just gave at Strange Loop for the the gory details of this. But basically, mm -hmm. we've ended up at this place with Alda V one where we have three different types of process. There's the client. There's a server, which is really just a go-between uh, between the client and this other thing, which is a worker process. And so the server mm. is like supervising these other background processes that are sitting around waiting for, for input and playing mm. the, uh, mm. the score. Um, mm. It's not great because we have to, there, I don't know, for a variety of reasons. One of them is that some users have reported issues where the worker processes just do not start. So they see the server come up, and then it's like, all right, starting workers, and then it just hangs there. I think on like Windows and maybe other operating systems, um, there's issues where a background process can't start its own background processes. Uh, so it's just gotten kind of complicated, and I wanted to simplify things. So I'm currently working on a new version of Alda where everything is done on uh, as much as possible is done on the client side. Hmm. So so all the translation into MIDI is on the client side, basically. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so we have, we do we do still have a background process because I wanted things to I, I think it should be an asynchronous type thing where you just mm. fire off um, like you know this is my score play this and then that happens by some other process in the background mm. and you can come back mm. along and stop it after before it's done if you'd like to. 
Because I think the browsers have uh, MIDI these days, don't they? They do. There's this. Uh, there's a library called MIDI JS, which is mm. really good. I've had some pipe dreams about um, porting the player part to Web Audio API and, and doing stuff with MIDI JS. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, version version three, or you know, <laughs> <it's> like... <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll be version three. Yeah. <laughs> So you're going to say, Dave, you're going to say about what the, about the browser has got some other things. Yeah, it also has a synthesizer built in. A I good didn't one. know that. I didn't know that. No. Okay. Well, it has the low-level parts. So you, can, you can build your own synthesizer. So they have oscillators oh, and okay. different types of filters and things. So people have built modular or analog synth or quote-unquote analog yeah. synth type things in the browser. Yeah. When I've seen yeah. some, uh, brow like when, when Web Audio first came out, I saw some like stuff that was linked to like music that was linked to video images so that you could in real time create like music in the browser and that was reacting to the kind of images that were being put out there, which was oh, that sounds cool. very smooth, you know. I mean, this was, I mean, anyway, yeah. I mean, obviously you're putting a lot of pressure on um, the graphics card and I guess you have to have a good graphics card and a good sound card. And sometimes the WebGL isn't as perfect as you'd like it to be, but that's a different story. So right. WebG WebGL talks directly to the to the GPU. So in theory, does Web Audio speak directly to sound cards, or is that? Yep. Is that some? It does. Okay. It does. Yeah, I've looked into the timing things. I actually have a Closure Script library that deals with timing. All um, right. Okay. Involving the Web Audio API, it's called Chronoid because it's like it's time related and it's 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 for mm. rock solid scheduling. So right. that's the OID. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, kind of a dumb name, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, so it, there's this article by, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, a, a guy who actually worked on the Web Audio API. Um, mm -hmm. The article is called A Tale of Two Clocks, and it's all about how to schedule events in the browser. Right. And basically the answer is you have to kind of sync, you have to coordinate between this. There's like, you can get um, access to the audio card, and there's like a clock running there. And you have mm -hmm. to coordinate that with like your browser's uh, event loop. Yeah. So Chronoid does that for you kind of behind this. It, it implements the algorithm that's described in that article. Hmm. So you can okay. say like, you know, in 3000 milliseconds, play this, or at this timestamp, play this. And hmm. it'll do it um, with, with good, uh, good um, accuracy of time. Hmm. So what is the technology change from V1 to V2? Uh, yeah, so this is the part where I get kicked off the show because I'm... Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm re-implementing re it. So the new architecture is there's a client and there's what I call a player, which is kind yeah. of like the worker now, but all it does is literally just play, um, like all the work is done client side. The player's job is just to perform it. And so mm. the player is written in Kotlin and the client is written in Go. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, see you later. Okay, that's the end <laughs> of the episode number <laughs> 15. Great. Bye, guys. <laughs> but but wh wh why, why Kotlin and, and why Go? Uh, what, so the, what changed there? I'll start with Kotlin because that one's easy. It's it's really like that was yep. sort of an arbitrary decision. I actually could have I could have done that one in Closure because this is a background mm -hmm. process. It doesn't necessarily matter how long it takes to start. So yeah. you know I could have gone with Closure, but I, I, as a bonus, I wanted to have a quick startup time. I might actually experiment with rewriting it um, with GraalVM uh, compiled Closure. Yes, Closure. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, but I need a JVM there so I could use the the MIDI the MIDI yeah. sequencer. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, synthesizer. Yeah. And then yeah. on the client side, I really just wanted um, as much performance as I could get without dipping into 
something I can't tolerate, like writing C or C++. And um, I, another important, so I tried a variety of things. I tried Rust and Crystal as well. I like those languages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what the tipping point for me that made me decide on Go was that it was the 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 platform that allowed me to most easily create cross-platform native executables with absolutely okay. no dynamic linking. That was right. the key part. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just like one, you just drop in one image and bam, you're off. Yeah. Yeah, I did some experiments and it was like very easy to um, to use Go to just spit out Windows, Mac OS, and Linux executables that don't depend on, they have no native dependencies. Isn't that the same with Rust as well? Because I, I didn't do any cross compilation on Rust yet, but uh, yeah, you can you can do cross similar. Plat- you can do cross platform compilation fairly easily with Rust, but I think yeah. I think some of the the Rust standard library might still depend on libc. Ah, okay. So there's there's an element of like yeah, this the system I'm trying to run this on might not necessarily have the bits that it needs without installing some some other library. Yeah. So it just yeah, goes yeah. back to wanting to provide a good experience for people who aren't familiar with programming and like tinkering with compiling their own executables and stuff like that, making sure making sure you have yeah. the right libraries installed. Yeah. Yeah, I think it makes sense because especially if you need the performance and you need the startup time not to be that much. So in the, in those cases, it's the right tool for the right job, especially music-related things. I mean, people don't want to wait for, I don't know, 10 seconds to start the program. And then. Yeah, exactly. So that makes sense. Yeah, It's, it's been but interesting the, the, because Go is not my favorite language by any stretch. But uh, <laughs> just through using it a bunch, I've kind of, I don't know if it's Stockholm Syndrome, but I've kind of gotten used to it. And it doesn't feel as bad to me now. <laughs> yeah, I think familiarity. <laughs> right. Did you use the? Because um, I I used Go for a while as well, and I was I was to be honest, I was I was pretty glad to be rid of it. Um, and uh, but I didn't maybe just didn't use it as heavily as you did. But are you using any of the kind of async features of it? I mean, the sort of, or is it just is it just a means to an end to get a, to get cross platform executables? So far, so I'm not finished implementing this yet, but I've gotten pretty mm. far with the Go part. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty much done with the Kotlin part. Uh, that part took me, you know, a, a week or two. I could easily rewrite that in some other because what it's doing is pretty minimal. The client, mm. the client yeah. side, um, I haven't found myself needing to use Go routines yet. Like the performance right. is so good, like it it parses things in microseconds, right. um, mm. and yeah, if the performance is so good. I just haven't need need to introduce concurrency yet. Yeah, but the the, the code language is still Alda plus Closure then. Oh, that, that's we're... a great question. So uh, yeah. it's it's really important to me. I haven't demonstrated this yet. Maybe I will. Um, but I mm-hmm. like to I like to write closure code that writes musical compositions. So maybe yeah. I'll play you an example if you're interested. Yes, of course. Totally. All right. Um, so I like to sort of just tinker with my in my closure REPL, just writing uh, with the Alda library kind of loaded. Um, so there's mm-hmm. this, there's okay. I got to introduce Alda CLJ. It is the successor to this inline closure scripting layer in Alda v1. Because in Alda v2, we can't have that because now the, the, the runtime is, is a native executable. We don't have yeah. a closure process. Yeah. But I figured out that I can actually get the same effect. Um, I, can, I can do exactly the same sort of thing by just driving the Alda program from closure. So I wrote Ooh. a closure library that has the, the, uh, the same DSL for music. And that's Alda mm-hmm. CLJ. Um, so I've used that to compose a, a bunch of different types of music. I probably should have had this pulled up already. <laughs> um, We're always winging it, Dave. Don't worry, you know. <laughs> in, indeed. 
uh, okay, yeah, so, all right, I've got, I've got it pulled up here. So in this score, I've defined a function called random note, and it mm -hmm. will return, every time you call it, it returns a random note, like a, a note with a random pitch, and it uh, lasts a random length of time in milliseconds. Or it might randomly choose to uh, rest or not play anything for a certain amount of time. Yep. And then I've, so I've got three instruments, an electric piano, a timpani, and a celeste which is a keyboard instrument. It sounds kind of like bells. And the random thing is closure. Yeah, yeah. The, so random node is a closure function that I've defined. Okay, it's just data in, data out. That's it. It's not, it doesn't do anything with ALDA. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's using the, the okay. ALDA CLJ library to return yeah. um, like basically records. Okay, yeah. Yep. And then um, so, there's a, so in ALDA CLJ, there's a function called play, uh, play, mm -hmm. you know, play bang. And yep. you give it any number of these records, and it will sort of translate it into valid ALDA syntax and just ship it over to your ALDA command line. Okay, nice. I'm really just shelling out. Like, what, it, what it's doing is very simple. It's just sort of sending the, sending the ALDA syntax, like a string of ALDA code, to ALDA. And it's like a REPL, basically. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So now you, can, you, now you have a closure REPL, and you can bring in your own dependencies. Um, like mm -hmm. you could pull in a, an HTTP library and grab, like, like I did my strange loop talk, you can pull in weather forecast data and use that mm -hmm. to generate music. All right. Okay. <laughs> and, anyway, here's that. I don't that. know whether it's cloudy or bright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is. Let's, so let's I, listen I, to this. Yeah. So let's listen to this. Yeah. The sounds different every time you evaluate the score. Yeah. You yeah. never know what it's going to sound like. Sort of reminiscent of like the art music of the early 20th century, John Cage and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So the, the instrument parts just look like repeatedly 20 random note. Yeah. Like a closure. <laughs> So you can still use closure to generate these um, ALDA uh, linguistic description of the of the music, and then that is being sent to this Go program eventually, and then that goes into the Kotlin thing. Right. Yeah, the interface is actually the same as ALDA v1. So you're able to you can you can go ahead and use ALDA CLJ today with the release version of ALDA, but it'll oh, just get it'll get okay. faster once ALDA v2 is released. Nice. So closure is still there. So uh, it's good that you're still on the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've redeemed myself. Hopefully. Yeah. So that's the yes. so the the closure part is basically the algo part of the uh, of the algo raves or the algo composition. Right. And then the, yeah. the other bits and pieces are the the uh, the playing and the sending. Yes. So the the sort of the key realization I had was that all of the language is really just the markup layer, and that's mm. the way it ought to be. Mm. Yeah, you can drive it from other things and and generate that. Implement the in, implement the algorithmic part in terms of just the markup part. Okay, so in in a way, it's like uh, closure, right? Because closure compiles to JVM stuff, and then JVM is running the stuff somewhere. So it's technically oh, similar yeah. to that kind of that kind of uh, you know division, so to speak. Right. So you so you're writing closure code, but then there is this Alda VM, <laughs> <laughs> quote unquote Alda VM that is written in Go or whatever. And then you're just sending the bytes to that one, and that, that that's playing it. Exactly. Mm, nice. So, 
Um, what other things that you do with Closure apart from music? Is there uh, any other projects see. that you work with, or? Well, I've uh, I've I have some Closure um, open source libraries. Um, I've I've done a bunch of tinkering with Zero MQ. Yeah. So I wrote a, a wrapper library for Zero MQ, which is the pure Java implementation of Zero MQ, and I call that okay. EZZMQ. <laughs> <laughs> The, the letters nice. EZZMQ. It's sort of like a mm-hmm. more idiomatic, you know, closure wrapper library for the, the Java one is, is sort of tied to a lot of idioms of, of Java. So this gets around mm. some of that. Yeah. Nice. But did you use 0MQ in, in your projects already? Yeah, actually, Alda V1 uses 0MQ to communicate mm. between the client and the server and the workers. Okay, makes sense. Uh, so that's how okay. you ended up using 0MQ. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so... Um, I talked about this a bit in the the strange loop talk as well. Um, but the one of the early iterations of Alda where I wanted to split it out between client and server, I did like the the most naive thing possible, which is just like HTTP. So the server is running you know an HTTP server, and the client is just sending HTTP requests to the server. Yeah. And somebody pointed yeah. out to me that this is like not the most um, not the most efficient way to do it. If I just want to yeah. get essentially a byte array from one place to another. There are cheaper ways to do that, so that's what uh, led me to zero MQ as an option for doing okay. that. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't think about web sockets or something like that, or? Uh, well, this is like from one server, uh, one server side program to another, like just yeah. running on your machine. Okay. But even even then, I think if you want web sockets, then you still want HTTP handover, right? You know, handshake is still HTTP. So you'll bring in all this uh, nuisance around it, probably. Yeah. Well, it's, the, the, the idea with WebSockets is just that you use HTTP as a sort of um, introduction layer. But then, it's, yeah, then yeah. it's a TCP IP socket after that. Yeah. yeah then it switches to the WebSocket, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah. 0MQ is basically just like you have sockets open on either side. It's almost like dealing with raw sockets, except that it's painful yeah. to work with raw sockets. There's a lot of like kind of housekeeping you have to do to make sure... Like you know, the message that gets returned to whoever sent it and things like that. So zero MQ yeah. is like a just a layer on top of that. So you have the routers and everything in zero MQ that can uh, that can send the appropriate messages to correct locations or something. Right. I really like zero MQ yeah. because it it gives you um, some. Uh, they have socket types. So there's the most basic program you can write in with using zero MQ has like a pair of yeah. sockets that are request and response. And so you just yeah, create an yeah. instance of each and you know in different programs maybe or maybe in different threads in the same program and you just send messages mm. between those two things. Yeah, yeah. And they also have more complicated things. They have pub sub and they have um what we what we do in all the to to route messages between the client and the workers. Like there's like a broker in the middle that has what we call mm. router and dealer sockets. Mm-hmm. So there's there's all sorts of like sort of it's like they give you the Lego blocks and you can build whatever you'd like with those. Yeah. So um, Alda is open source, right? So what what type of contributions are uh, people can make to the to the to the library or the program? Uh, we could really use a lot of help right now with our website and documentation. Those are areas that just <laughs> I haven't. Maybe that's you yeah. probably hear that a lot with a lot of projects. But yeah, I could definitely <laughs> use some some um, help with making the documentation yeah. friendlier, making the website have all the information that we really want in it. Yeah. Nice. 
I think uh, some people will uh, probably try it out at least. I think it's, it's as I said, the, the user experience is at least on Mac because I didn't try Windows and other stuff. I'm assuming it's the similar kind of experience there. It was really nice. I just downloaded it and then I just typed all the Apple and then I could just start typing notes and then listen to some horrible stuff that I typed in. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was beautiful. I was thinking, you know, maybe we should, because all, all the notes are like, if if we have sort of a normalization of the source code, then we should convert source code into music. So you mm-hmm. just put in closure code, and then it, it normalizes into the seven notes, all the stuff that we write in. Then then we should be able to provide something like, hmm, the shape of the code is this because of the music. Whoa, that's interesting. <laughs> we could analyze like the Git repo, like the Git data exactly. for a repo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like you could decide whether a pull request makes you happy or not. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then it, it, it gives the whole new meaning of this code is too noisy, like literally. <laughs> I just played it in Alda. <laughs> right. <laughs> what a noisy code. <laughs> yeah. So um, can you play us something something more? Um, of course, you know, we did, the, we, we, we heard the Hello World thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You're saying Debussy or whatever that thing is. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm like completely like uh, yeah, uh, level De- zero, level minus two. Claude yeah, Debussy is that. Yeah. Let's do that. I've yes. also got the uh, the weather forecast piece that we could listen to if you're interested. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. You want the weather forecast? Let's do the weather really, forecast. Yeah. Yeah, I think this are, one's are pretty you, are interesting. You, are you choosing a particular location or? Uh... Yeah. So what I did was uh, the the purpose of this score was to demonstrate that you can now that you have control of the closure part, like you, mm-hmm. you are using Alda within your closure REPL. So you can pull in yeah. whatever libraries you'd like. So I used, you know, an HTTP client and a JSON library, and now I can consume the National Weather Service API and get okay. weather forecast data for this example has four cities. There's New York, LA, St. Louis, and Durham. Well, why don't we change okay. it a little bit? Is that possible? So we can have like um, uh, Brussels, or for me, Leuven. So the heart of closure place, Leuven, and then you're in Den Haag. Yeah, The Hague or the Amsterdam. Hague. I think if you, if you play Amsterdam Music well, Netherlands, weather yeah. is like going to be just rain. So it's going to be it'll, like a flat G it'll be or interesting, something. You know, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see like the a global Algo. That's is, true. Is, well, is it easy to change or not? It, no, it's not possible because oh, the, um, okay. this, this is the, like the United States National Weather Service. Oh, right. Uh, okay. okay, you're not okay. using Yahoo okay, Weather okay. or something. Yeah, okay. No, but... Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you've okay. got... The New York is percussion. L.A. is an upright mm-hmm. bass. St. Louis is a okay. saxophone, and Durham is a vibraphone. So you end up with this like weird jazz based on weather All data. Right, okay. <laughs> right. Without further ado. Yeah, let's hit it. Yeah. As the notes get lower, that's the weather getting colder. Ah. And uh, the wind speed controls how fast the notes happen. Ah, okay. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if we're getting stereo, or probably not, but panning is controlled by the wind direction. Oh, okay. Oh, it's picking up again. <laughs> <laughs> how long is the forecast for, you know? Uh, you get 150 hour chunks. Oh, wow, anyway, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll turn that off. <laughs> we don't need to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> well, it certainly makes weather forecasting, you know, listening to weather forecast a bit more interesting than, you know, we have at the moment. Yeah. 
Right. Like a, a hurricane came through North Carolina um, as I was working on this. So I was like, oh, oh let's okay. let's see what the weather is like in North Carolina right now. And, you know, as you might expect, <laughs> is the notes were very fast and moving up and down. Yeah. <laughs> the wind was all over the place. And if you get a Sharpie, <laughs> can you change the weather? <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the next feature. Aldo V2 or Aldo V3. Draw your own, your own hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was so, uh, um, off topic. Political joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, can you can you play the other one, the the composition or? Um... Yes. So, how so, complicated is this code, by the way? It should be pretty easy for a guy like me to to write this code, right? To uh, copy from the sheet music. Yeah, it's about. So, this is four different. It's a string quartet by WC. So, there's mm -hmm. four instruments. Mm -hmm. um, the whole file. This is just an excerpt of it, uh, but mm -hmm. there's 53 lines. Each instrument part oh. is like, you know, maybe 10 lines or so. Okay. Um, so it's, it's and, very and this concise is a, this syntax. Is in, and this is in uh, in your uh, GitHub repo, right? You know, as an example somewhere or? Yeah, actually this example, if you go to, um, it's GitHub Alda Lang, um, mm -hmm. Alda Core is the name of the repo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a folder of examples and this is one of them. Perfect. Okay. Let's hear it. All right. Very That's good, beautiful. Very good. Yeah, mm. this is a, this is a perfect uh, medium, isn't it? Podcasting is a perfect medium for this kind of stuff, you know. It's a <laughs> yes. but it's a, but this is a this is a first for Deafen, where we have everything like done interactively and put music on live. So, yeah, congratulations to this is good, this is amazing. Good, good yeah. first, thank you, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Dave. So uh, good luck with Alda project. And hopefully, you know, uh, you'll make more progress and then bring more closure into the rest of the components soon. Yep. <laughs> so um, I think we are, wow, uh, we are one hour, uh, 10 minutes already. That's nice. Um, so uh, thanks again, Dave, for showing up on the podcast on Sunday and then playing all this music for us. Yeah. And um, hopefully uh, more and more people will try out Alda. And then uh, I think you'll... Uh, basically make most of the orchestra people's lives uh, very difficult <laughs> because they can <laughs> keeping. So if you want to make music, you don't need orchestra anymore. You can just have, you know, a computer and then you can just make it. Just, yeah, let's take their jobs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I think for me, I think it's like, a, I, I, I like the fact that uh, there, was, there are quite a lot of creative um, activities like this in Clojure. Um, when we were at the heart of Clojure, we saw... Um, one of the talks was by a lady who was doing um, random, well, not exactly random, actually, but a sort of artistic uh, generation of images. And you were doing yeah. the Alda stuff with the music. So, you know, it seems like it's uh, like the algorithmic or computer intersection of arts is becoming you know, more viable. And obviously having more tools like the sort of stuff you're doing, Dave, is really useful for artists and for, for people who want to be artists or want to just experiment with things or... You know, I think it's really great, and uh, thank you very much. And you know, I think it's an inspiring activity that you're doing there. So, you know, and I've got to say, I mean, 
It, it, it was such a pleasure meeting you in the Heart of Closure. I mean, you're such a positive, delightful person, and that shows through on this podcast as well, I'm sure. Um, so I really appreciate all the efforts you've gone to and, uh, you know, just being a, 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 an awesome dude. So cheers, Matt. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> it's been great being on your podcast. Of course. And, and um, of course. No, not, 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 yeah, because we are. Of course we are, it's been uh, great. Exactly. Why wouldn't no? it be? Totally. <laughs> I mean, he's great. I'm great. You're great. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> so what I meant to say was that, of oh, course, okay. you know, whatever Ray said was completely true. And, you know, it, it was a pleasure meeting you at Heart of Closure. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I like that, you know, you, you're working on a project for so long and I can see how passionate you are about this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why when I saw, you know, you started Alder like 2012, I was like, wow, there are not many people I mean, side projects are like every weekend, right? <laughs> like people start a side project and then it just disappears pretty quickly. Uh, but but you know, you're, you're changing the architectural uh, designs. You're making it even better, and uh, it's it's uh, the user experience is amazing. And I hope it's gonna get uh, you know uh, be very useful for for people who are composing music, and then people who are using Closure as well. So thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us on the on the podcast and playing the music. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly give it a try again more and more uh, mm-hmm. and then try to see to understand the music better I think <laughs> so thanks a lot for having me uh, it's an absolute pleasure Dave it really is a pleasure yeah and uh, you know I think I, I think you're he's a, I think Dave is a bit of an exceptional isn't he he's not a Patreon you know normally we have guests no he's not yeah yeah we only have guests who are Patreons you know <laughs> oh I gotta get on that <laughs> <laughs> so these days, we only pick, uh, you know, guests who are paying us. You know, you need exactly. to pay to be on the podcast or something. <laughs> but but well, I think that yeah. that's basically we'll uh, reduce our uh, Patreon to two people again. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, one quick update is that uh, we used to do the live um, shows. But uh, these days, I think uh, because of the technical... Um, what what do you call it? Like the deprecation of the Google Hangouts thing. Uh, we are trying to figure out what is the best way. So, uh, yeah. but you know, uh, we, we'll see what we can do for our our patrons. And we are uh, going to have another episode recorded pretty soon. So, keep listening. That's it from us for this episode number fifty three. I think it's fifty four. I think it's fifty four. Okay, fifty four. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll work it out. <laughs> <laughs> who gives a shit to be honest you know exactly it's like, totally yeah. it's episode dave you know it's episode yes episode Alda dave. and dave and you know let's be more and human Debussy. with our episodic uh indexing <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> that's it thank you and uh, see you next time Cheers. see ya Was in fact fifty three.